Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 106. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Most people, in just simple common sense, have always told us that being optimistic helps us to be more successful in our lives. And our guest this episode, John Harks, has been optimistic his entire life. Before John was inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame in 2005, his stellar soccer career would begin growing up in Kearney, New Jersey, also known as Soccer Town, USA. He would then make his way to the University of Virginia playing under coach Bruce Arena and then would forego his senior year to play full-time for the U.S. men's national team in 1988, competing in the 88 Olympics, playing in two FIFA World Cups in 1990 and 1994, and he served as team captain for the national team from 1995 to 1998. He would become the first American to compete in the English Premier League before he would return to the U.S., where he would play in the inaugural season of the MLS, ultimately winning two MLS Cups with D.C. United, two Open Cup titles, while also earning six MLS All-Star selections. After retirement, he would embark on a broadcasting career before being named head coach for FC Cincinnati, and in 2018, John was named head coach and sporting director of the Greenville Triumph Soccer Club to lead the Triumph in their inaugural season in 2019 as a League One member of the United Soccer League. Here's episode 106 with John Harks. John, thank you for sitting down. And yeah. I think you probably need to sit down. No, good to be You're here. You're running man. 100 miles per hour. Nah, that's good, man. We're all good. We I can't even keep, keep up with you. Huh? I can't even keep up with you. <laughs> I, I was disappointed you didn't show up at training today, but other than that, I thought you were going to be playing in the midfield. But you other do than not that, want we're me training out there with you, I promise you. Know? you. No? no, because you're going to have to carry me off on a stretcher. All right. Pulled hamstring something, right? That's, that's <laughs> now, what about you? Why aren't you playing? Player coach for the Greenville Triumph. Already done that. Moving on. Already done that. <laughs> you played long enough? Yeah, I had a great career. Had a great career. Yes, you did. Fantastic. You so had an unbelievable I'm very career. fortunate. I'm very lucky. I don't need to don't need to go back and rehash that. You know, you can move on. And did you ever think that you would be in this position that you're starting a professional team and being the coach? As growing up, did you ever think you'd be sitting in this type of position where you are now? Uh, you know, I kind of took it upon myself as a young player. It's like you know, people have said that we're pioneers of the game and, and started, you know, the first year of 96 of Major League Soccer in this country and, you know, first ones to qualify in 1990 after 40 years of, of missing out on a on a World Cup. And I got kind of, you take that on, it, get, it gets, it becomes part of who you are and your, 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 your character and that you have this, you know, this responsibility to grow the game and to push the game to new levels. So... I don't know if you know if I'm a young player. Do I think about that? No, you think about the next game when you're a young player. You think about the next training session, how you can get better, and um, you know when you're in a team environment, you think about winning championships. You know because that's what you do it for. You win. You know you want to play. You want to win games. But building a club is something that you know I love doing in Cincinnati, and uh, we did it well. Um, you know, to to be fair, I mean we. You know, 16 wins, uh, eight draws, and six losses in our first year, and you know, finishing really high, and, and we won on and off the field with the supporters groups and everything else. So, you know, to try to do that here and and build a club like that again and have that challenge is a great challenge, and I love that. And so, you know, you just gotta again, like we said before, it's you, you got to make sure that you're you got the right people that are in line, you know, to take on that task, and you got to fight. It's it's 24 seven. There is no you know, downtime, especially in the beginning stages and what we're doing in the process. So you got to be able to fight and compete. And do you have certain expectations? I mean, I know you have goals to a certain degree, but do you have expectations that just mentally in your head, maybe you haven't shared, but just how you want to see things this first year with the Greenville Triumph? Well, I think what the expectations are is that we set the standards high. 
you know, and, um, you know, when you, when you visualize, uh, about where we're going to be and, you know, after the third week uh, of preseason, where we're going to be after the second month of the season kicking off, where we're going to be turning the corner in July and August as we go into the last, you know, kick on into hopefully pushing for a playoff spot. And, you know, we want to host playoffs and we want to win the title. I mean, that's what we want to do. Everybody does. Uh, I would think they want of to. Of course. But uh, that is the expectation is winning. Expectations are that we have guys that, you know, want to be all in and that we're building a culture here in Greenville. And, you know, like I said, we uh, it's important that we understand that as a sporting club that we are part of the community and that we serve the community. So, you know, that's that's the number one thing. And then from your perspective, because I always find it fascinating in terms, as we just mentioned, everybody has in sports, the expectation is winning. That's how you, that's how you measure yeah, I mean, success, you right? That's why yes, you compete exactly. you're an athlete, you know? But isn't there uh, a certain type of situation that occurs that to get winning, you got to build a culture yes. that can sustain the winning? Or you know, so what comes first? Is it the winning that builds the culture, or is the culture it's, builds the winning? It's it's the expectations every day that drive behavior, that drive culture, the behavior and the everyday expectations. That's what we're looking to build, and that's the first thing. If you get that right, then there's going to be an increased percentage of us getting, you know, the results that we want. Uh, but if you don't get that right in the first day of training and you only get one chance to make a good first impression on players and staff and organization um, as a whole, um, then you kind of find yourself behind the eight ball. And so from our perspective, we've been working extremely hard every day, um, and it's been going great. I mean, preseason right now is just really going well when we just had our ninth training session today um in seven days and uh yeah we're 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 doing well i'll say that you know i don't want to set the bar too high or you know have low expectations of our guys and give us time to build into things uh but to be honest with you it's uh the guys are going for it and we've pushed them hard at times and uh they're doing well they're doing they're responding very well and for you to have this type of mindset growing up, how were you shaped then to have this type of mindset now when you were just starting to play soccer as a kid? I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, I don't know. Do you have those natural instincts where you're more of a uh, cerebral, you know, thinker? Um, I've kind of always thought team always with everything, you know, even though we all have egos and we want to compete, we want to win things and push on and, but you're always part of the team. And so you're always trying to connect guys and making sure that, you know, from a leadership standpoint that you set the tone the right way, you know, with players and the communications open. And, um, I've always been an optimistic guy, you know, a positive guy. And, um, I continue to do that as a coach and, create opportunities for guys to step up. And so I'll open the door maybe for you, but you've got to step through that door and you've got to be able to earn the right to play. If you don't earn the right to play, then the next guy steps up. And, and that's did, how we, we make it competitive, but at least we give everybody the same platform to compete. And when did you really understand you had this competitive streak growing up? <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, when I took on my brother, who was three years older than me and is now six foot three and a half and is a <laughs> giant, um, and that I wanted to compete against him every day. And he was just like, get off me. I was a little, you know, pain in the ass brother uh, <laughs> that that just wouldn't, I was so, you know, relent, just relentless. I wouldn't let In up. anything? In anything. We would compete in a lot of stuff, even like what the next album we're playing in the, in the bedroom. You know, and he'd be like, it's, it's got to be Led Zeppelin. And I'd be like, well, have you listened to U2 lately? You know, and so <laughs> it was all those kinds of things, competing for our own spot, you know, and, and our, our own space and where our identity was and everything. So I think I've always been competitive, but I'm not competitive to a fault. I'm competitive that in the right environment that you got to have a balance too and that there's some things that – you know, you have to understand that and people might think that I'm crazy, but there, there's other people that are better than you. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> when you figure that out, you know, soon enough, then you figure out other ways to maybe be successful in the way that you can be. And so, you know, that's part of it.
Now, did you have a gravitational pull just to soccer growing up, or were you playing all sports? Initially, it was soccer, like right away. I was into soccer huge, and then, um, you know, as you get older, you start to branch out, and you're playing the street hockey, and then, uh, you know, I get to high school, and some one of my other friends asked me if I can wrestle because they need to fill a weight class, and I'm figuring <laughs> out how to be a wrestler. And so I did a little bit of everything. I played stickball every day. You know, I, I did all the other stuff. I played all the other sports, played football, and you know, loved being a little running back, but I was tiny. I was small. I was quick and agile, and um, but you know, I was aggressive, and uh, it was it was hard <laughs> to be a small guy. You know? <laughs> I was in high school freshman year. I think I was five two, and I weighed maybe about ninety eight, ninety nine pounds. So I was wrestling one hundred one my freshman year, and I couldn't make my weight class. <laughs> so I was really small. Yes, you but were. I, but I did love playing hockey. Like, I loved it, and I skated, you know, when I was younger. And so I played other sports, you know, and played hoops once in a while. I got to UVA, started playing a lot more, you know, hoops with the friends off off the field and getting on the court and stuff like that. So I played every sport, basically, to some degree, you know. Um, but but is, soccer just— Is there just a love for soccer, though? Oh, without a doubt. It's just runs through my veins. Every day. And what do you love about it? It's just an attachment that just gives me joy. I mean, just being able to hit that right pass or, you know, do a move and dribble by a player or make a tackle or a saving play or just everything about it. It's constant movement. The creativity that's there, the intelligence level to interpret space on the field and all the moving parts, the weight of the pass of a ball, the timing of the runs off the ball away from the action you don't see. It's everything. I take it all in, and I love it. It's the best game in the world. It really how, is. How is soccer different now when it, when you were starting to play? Because this is in the 80s. It's a lot when... faster. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot faster trying to keep up with these guys. I knew when I was a youth coach and the 14-year-old went past me that I was like, whoa. I mean, that's, <laughs> no, like, I can't, it's a little different. Yeah, I can't keep up with that. Um, it's a lot more organized than it was back in the day. I think there's a lot more structure to it, you know, from the youth levels all the way up. Um, the training habits have gotten better, but to some extent, some of the training habits are not the best either because there's so many distractions for young kids these days. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's it's hard. I mean, you have so much in terms of technology that is at their disposal. And, uh, you know, a lot of coaches joke around like, oh, it's the iPhone generation, you know, and how are we going to get them to be focused on what we're doing here in our training sessions and all that? And it's hard. I, I will tell you that. It is it's a challenge at the youth levels because you might have four or five kids out of 20 that are really locked in and ready to go in a training session. And somehow you've got to get 10, 12, 15 you get other, the other kids. Ones, yeah. You've got to get them involved. And you've got to make it fun. They've got to join in. They got to, you've got to make them feel confident about who they are. Um, which is very important, and everybody's different. Everybody has a different story to tell and a different upbringing and a background, and you got to be able to connect with those. When did you realize that you were really good at soccer? Uh, I don't think you ever realize that you're really good at soccer. I think you know, from my perspective, I was looking to always evolve and, and learn, pick up stuff every single day. And that was like from pickup games when I was six, seven, eight years old. I mean, we were always playing against the older boys in our town in Kearney, and we were playing on the basketball courts. We were playing on tennis courts. We were playing on fields, baseball fields. We were playing just wherever. Oh, we were yeah. We play wherever we can get a pickup game, and there was like ten guys there. We'd play five aside everywhere. Now, did you have problems finding guys that wanted to play soccer? Because again, this no. is not when soccer was None. as popular as it is now. Not in our town, we it was forty people at a time, and it was winter stay on. So it was like pick up basketball. Oh, I mean, there's people ready to play. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, we converted the court system down in Harrison, New Jersey, the next town over, but we all walked down. It was very organized. We knew who was going to be on whose team. If the guy wasn't in good form one week, the guy, Mike O'Neill, one of my friends, would call up and say, hey, wear blue shirts today, and we'd all be in red. So we knew <laughs> that he would be in blue. And he was like, wait a minute, you said blue. We were like, oh, yeah, we changed the red. Sorry, you're on the blue team. So uh, it was very democratic in some aspects, but in other aspects it was just, just competing all the time. I mean, we were 11, 12 years old playing against guys that were 24, 25. We would go out and play and compete, and that's what made us better. Yeah, I was going to say, how much do you think that helped your game versus— It's the most important thing. 
for me. It was the acceleration of the game, how you think, how physical, how you compete with those guys or outmaneuver them because you know they're going to knock you to the fence. And so you got to figure out other ways to be quicker with the ball. You know, your, your speed of thought is, becomes the most important thing on the field. And uh, you look for that. For, I look for that in players nowadays. I look for the soccer intelligence. You know, who can figure out the space? Who's getting the closing speed down right? Um, all of those things, they, they play into the game. It's not just can you juggle a ball. Everybody can juggle a ball if you practice enough. But what do you do with the ball and decision-making when you're under pressure? That's the key. So those type of things. Yeah. Can that be trained? Just being able yeah. to being able to see spaces. Yes, absolutely. To, you, you know, the the right training system that really allows kids to have a cognitive thinking. Um, the ones that are being asked questions as the game is being played or the training session and why. And I'm telling you why we're doing this, because this is gonna equate to this level, to that, to that, to that. And there's the end result. If you spell that out for them these days, because they all want to know why. They all want to know why. They're very inquisitive. Um, if you do that right, and uh, I think that helps speed up the development. It accelerates it. I really do. And what about your recruiting process to get to UVA? What was that like? Yeah, it was. gosh, it was very difficult, to be honest with you, because in our hometown, we had a lot of issues. Um, you know, there was blue-collar town, uh, some low-income housing and uh, drugs, alcohol, things like that that would distract or derail guys' dreams. And um, so you always kind of wanted to be the one to make it. And so it came down to, God, if soccer is the one that's going to get me that education and get me to that next level or go to a university, then I've got to be the best I can be. And so that pushed you on. It propelled you forward. And, you know, it was not easy. I mean, there was a lot of good friends that I lost, you know, along the way. And um, so in some aspect, you're playing for them. You know, you're playing for their families. You're playing for your town. And, you know, and then when you get to the levels where, you know, thank God, Dave Sarakin was the assistant coach at the time at UVA and Bruce Arena. Uh, Dave Sarakin's coaching at North Carolina FC now. And, and Bruce Arena is the most swinging, you know, one of the best coaches there is. I mean, they recruit you, and you're like all in. Let's go, you know. You were ready. Well, I don't know if I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> My dad doesn't think I was ready. You know, I think the hardest thing for me was, you know, from an academic structure, that was going to be a challenge, you know, going to UVA and, um, you know, always being a soccer player that was first primary. That was my number one thing. And um, the academics was like, wow, you got to pick it up and figure this out quickly, you know, from that perspective. So not having that structure all the time uh, was difficult, but I knew that if I wanted to play soccer, then I need to get my grades right. And so that taught me a lot, a quick lesson, you know. But you viewed this, this was your way out. Yeah, this is what it, your it way did seem to... a little bit like that, you know, a little bit like the Lost Boys and you got to find yourself and, you know, getting yourself there through the sport. The sport, you know, took me to new levels and opened up doors and helped, helped me grow as a person, you know, and mature. And so... Um, Did you ever have periods of self-doubt? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we were always raised to be confident, you know, kids when we were younger, like that you can take on anybody. My dad used to tell me that you're the best player on the field when you go out there. You can beat anybody. You can tackle anybody. It doesn't matter how big they are, you know. And so I think I was kind of encouraged to do that. My mom's very optimistic as well about we would lose a game 6 nothing. She was like, you did so well, you know, in her Scottish <laughs> accent. I go... Mom, we lost six nothing. She was, I know, but it could have been nine. <laughs> so you did very well to keep it at six. And, uh, so she was always very positive and optimistic with us. So is that where you get your optimism from? I think from so. Her? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm glad I do. Of course, I'm lucky. And then so you're at UVA, and you're talking. Yeah. About, I mean, struggling a little bit on the academic side, and yeah, it was it, a challenge. Were, were you having more self doubt? On that side versus your soccer skills? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's something because, you know, that adds stress and anxiety to any student. You know, you're a student athlete. You're representing the school. And, um, you know, when you, you're lucky enough to get, you know, scholarships, partial scholarships, whatever it may be, to pay for your education, you got to realize, like, what that means, you know, and that there's thousand other kids that want to be in your spot. And so you got to earn it. And so, yeah, it can make it cast a little bit of doubt on what you're doing there and uh you got to fight through that part so i did and and it was good um 
you know, but it's, you know, from that perspective, that helps you grow. You know, that's that's what you go through adversity for, to evolve and, and to grow as a person. So well, Most times that's <laughs> the only way you can grow is yeah. having to face some type of adversity. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, um, you know, if you don't have adversity, if you don't fail, you don't learn from the lessons, you don't pick yourself up and, and get on with it, you know, and that's uh, that's part of life. And um, and there was a lot of really successful programs at UVA, you know, in terms of sports and everything else that was there. So soccer was really at that time we were trying to make it. We were trying to grow that program. So there was a lot of responsibility there on the players and the coaching staff. And I mean, they've done well. You know, the year I left, they won four four championships in a row. It's like, hey, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. I shouldn't have left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, and when I went overseas to England, um, but yeah, the. The, the program's done tremendous and so yeah that yeah. part of my my phase of my life was very important for me in terms of maturing and growing growing up yeah. what other schools were recruiting you um i went to nc state um and i went to duke and i was at Rutgers, of course a state school in jersey and uh the, you know they they wanted to pull me in and um i went out to gosh a lot of it was like relationships that knew my father and stuff, you know, and I went out to UNLV of all places. I was like, wow, what's going on here? That's a different place. Yeah, it was a lot different. <laughs> it was a lot different. I did not. See, I think the game has grown tremendously now because it's so global and that, you know, a kid from the East Coast going to a West Coast school is no big deal now. You know what I mean? But back, but back in the day then, for us, it was like UCLA. Well, well, why would I go out there? You know, but they had a big program, too. But I didn't hit any of the West Coast schools. So. And what about Clemson? I'm a Clemson grad. And did Coach Cle Ibrahim? Clemson Ibrahim, um, I think it was early in the process, and Bruce had already had me scouted and got me early. You know, I mean, I mean, I say early. I mean, Ibrahim built such a great program there. I mean, unbelievable what he was able to do. And uh, you know, historic Riggs Field is is beautiful. The campus is gorgeous. I mean, if I was going to college now, I would seriously be considering <laughs> Clemson for sure. Because, you know, to be fair, my daughter had a great experience there. She graduated three and a half years, was a Clemson captain on the soccer team for the women. And um, they really do grow you as a student athlete. They really do. And they push you as a student. So to me, I thought it was a really good environment. And why did you decide to leave UVA? Uh, it was a, you know, I just competed in the Olympics for the U.S. team. Uh, we were in Seoul, Korea in 1988, and there was a little bit of a push from the U.S. Soccer Federation from the leadership standpoint of saying, hey, it's been far too long since we've qualified for a World Cup. Uh, the last World Cup at that time was 1950, and, uh, you know, the big 1-0 win against England and Belo Horizonte and Brazil, and... Uh, they wanted to get back there. And we've been close, you know, and through the 80s, we had really good national teams there, some great, great players, and Ricky Davis being one of those um, players, and Kyle Rowe Jr. and guys like that that were always close, but we never got there. And so they thought uh, bringing on Bob Gansler at the time, a head coach, um, and a, a good crop of college players at the time thought that we can get there. So they formed a sort of professional national team which was unheard of to be fair you were going to be getting paid at, as a national to team be player. on the national team yeah so it was kind of a a brand new step in like how the game was viewed i think you know and from a contractual standpoint nobody got paid to play in the national team it was more like per diem every day you got food and Back in the day, we were washing our own kits anyway. So, um, you know, we went from getting $5, $10 a day to now earning maybe twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 just to go and play soccer for your national team. And so that was a big dilemma. You know, coming back there, I want to finish out. I want to get my education, you know, uh, not just for my parents, but for me too. And Or you go and be part of this team that might qualify for World Cup. And, you know, I had a lot of guidance back then from Bruce and the coaching staff and from my parents and, you know, uh, my then girlfriend, Cindy, who's my wife now. And uh, it was like kind of you got to seize these opportunities when they come. And so I did. Yeah, because that's a, very was a challenge, un but I, unique opportunity. And yeah, yeah, it was for sure. And so to be part of that and there was no guarantees. So you got to qualify. And we've had some tough games that came down to the last one. And we won against Trinidad and Tobago away in Trinidad and Tobago, where they had a three day national like 
festival and parade, and it was just unbelievable. They thought they were already there because they're going to beat the Americans. And we upset they them. They easily could beat the Americans. This is probably their <laughs> attitude, right? Maybe. Uh, they were pretty confident. They yeah. were pretty confident. They were a great nation, though. They supported their nation very well. Um, they were, you know, awesome even after we beat them and upset them. They were still very kind to us and supportive and wishing us all the best. So, I mean, that was a great experience. But it was a big risk, you know, to leave school and to go and do this and say, like, can we do it? But you got to believe in dreams. You got to go for it. You got to take those risks, you know, when they come. Agreed. Do you have any regrets for no, doing it? None. None at all. Now, did you go back and get your degree? I'm getting it right now through Southern New Hampshire University online. So sports management concentration. Well, there you go. There you're you going, go. You're going to be a grad soon. Huh? I hope. I hope. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to write more papers, PowerPoint presentations where my daughter's like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. It's just been an hour doing this. She's like, just go. There you go. You're done. And that's I'm a, like, wait, what? You know, so it's all been good. Now, so I'm trying to make sure I understand just the pathway. So you yeah. do this national team, but then, so how do you get to playing now over in Europe? The first American. Um, I think you're you're hoping to be on that stage that maybe somebody will scout you and that you might get recognized and get an opportunity. I mean, that's the hope for everybody, you know, even to, till today, uh, up until today. I mean, they, for us, it was like, wow, let's, you know, we, I think we learned lessons early on, and, and Bob Gansler was such a great coach. It was just like, when we all do well, your individual, you know, likeness will shine. And so, you know, building that team and in, in qualifying for the World Cup like we did kind of put us on a new stage. So we were able to be seen, you know, and they gave, gave us so much exposure that we didn't even know existed before. Um, and going to Italy and, and playing in such a, Gosh, historic, you know, nation that has won World Cups and just passion for the game. It was like, wow, we're on a big stage here, big stage. And so, you know, we were very hopeful, but at the same time, we knew we were going in, you know, with, blind, <laughs> with blinders on and very naive and a young team. We were like average age of maybe 23, I think, in that World Cup. A lot of college guys, a lot of college guys. Yeah, that's a young team. Very young, very young. Yeah, I mean, the game has gotten younger, to be fair. There's not a lot of older players still playing the game at that those high levels. But, you know, for us back in that day in 1990, you think about how far, how long ago that was. We were young, very, very young and naive, you know, to, to like what the world stage was like. You know, it yeah, showed you, in our first game. I was going to say, did it help or hurt you? <laughs> it hurt us. I mean, part of it is that innocence where you don't yeah. know any better, so you go for it. But when you're playing, you know... Then Czechoslovakia and now Czech Republic, but we were lost 5-1 <laughs> and we got thumped and we just sat there like, wow, what just happened? And so thankfully we, we recouped and we got everything back together. We lost to Italy in the second game, the team that's hosting, you know, the, the whole World Cup. And uh, that was a challenge. Everybody was writing papers. Gazeta de la Sport was printing that we were going to lose 11 nothing, And when we lost 1-0, everybody still didn't believe it, you know. So we, we could have tied that game. And we had chances, and we played very well against them. So it was we we got our pride back in some aspects, and got a little more confidence. Yeah, back. a little bit more confidence. And then we went to third game, lost that one too. So to lose all three games, it wasn't about the wins and loss columns. It was just getting back there and saying, okay, we're here now. How do we make it better for '94 when we're hosting? Um, that was the biggest challenge. And so, what was different about '94 versus '90? Well, I mean, we're we're hosting. Yeah, obviously you're playing yeah, in the we, Rose Bowl, we, right? We, well, we have an oppor <laughs> a unique opportunity to build on what we did. Um, you know, reassessing, stepping back from 90 World Cup and saw we were able to see, like, okay, uh, we did fairly well, but we wanted to get that first win. Or, you know, we wanted to get a point in the World Cup and see if we can qualify to the next, next round. Everybody does. Um, and uh, hosting, there was a lot of pressure on us because then a lot of nations around the world were like, why are we playing the World Cup in the U.S. in 94? Like, what have they done internationally? And we just qualified for the first time in 40 years. So Yeah, hadn't done much. Haven't done much. Not at all. So it was going to be a challenge for yeah. sure. And now how did you guys embrace that type of challenge, knowing that the world was going to be looking at you yeah. and questioning those type and that you guys now had to – 
have some more success yeah. in terms of performance out it, it there. Was, it wasn't easy, to be honest. It was um, that, that naivety and that giddiness of 90 had gone. And uh, we kind of now took on full form of like what the pressure was of a nation being honest as a host. And like, we got to get out of this round. We can't fail. There's no room for that. It just can't happen. Um, so there was, yeah, there was anxiety for sure. Um, but I think there was self-belief too, because a lot of us had the opportunities to go play professionally now overseas. There was seven of us at that time that were coming back uh, to join the team in 94. Um, the the biggest unknown was like, what level are we really at? Because we didn't have to qualify when you host. So now we're like, hmm, we've played probably 50 friendly games over the last two years building up to that. But the seven of us that were in Europe and playing in different areas in England, Spain, and You guys uh, hadn't played together. No, we haven't. You know, Hungary, we're Germany, we were all over the place. So coming back together, it was like we were joining the team, and I joined the team very late because I was still in a 63-game season, which was very long. Very long. Yeah, and I was exhausted mentally and physically. So coming back in, it was like, how do we transition into that, be part of the group right now, and, and do your part for the team, you know? And uh, so that was a challenge. But, yeah, it was it was pressure, but at the same time, there was, there was that excitement. You know what I mean? That was like, a, wow, what an opportunity we have right here. Let's capture a nation. Let, let's take all that passion and the melting pot and everything else, but show them that America can play well. And do you thrive more on being able to prove people wrong or, <laughs> you know, prove people right that might have believed in you? I Do I thrive on one or the other? Hmm. That's a great question. Because yeah. I imagine... That is a great question. I imagine there was... Obviously, a contingency of people, yeah. uh, the Americans, this is a joke. They're, they can't do anything. And then there's yeah. the optimist side of things that, like, yes, we believe in you guys, this world. I, I think it, sometimes it can be equal because you see people that do believe in you and you say, you, you were there for us. And, you know, you backed us 100%. Look what we've been able to achieve. But then I think the youth in me has always got that chip on their shoulder. Mm -hmm to say we can prove something or tell me I'm not going to do this or anything, you know, pool table. I'm not going to make that shot. I'll make that <laughs> shot, you know? So it's a little bit of that and you have fun with it. You don't get to a point where you're so engrossed in it that you lose yourself. Um, it's important to make sure that you always keep a balance with life and everything. So you got to have humor. And so we, we get it, but the pressure, you know, and the chip on the shoulder thing, Going back to your original question, probably proving yeah. people wrong. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Thanks for letting me get through that, Rich. I appreciate yes. it. <laughs> yes, we, that's how we work through things yeah. here, right? Yeah. <laughs> we just put a microphone in, yeah. in front of you and then we work through it. Yeah. yeah. So what is it like then, the days that you're not playing during the World Cup? Yeah. Just, I mean, what are you guys doing? Preparing. So there's some, for what's next. some practice, I mean, but how are you? Like, yeah. What's your downtime like? Um, not a lot of downtime, although Bora, Bora Milutinovic was our head coach at the time, and he had been brought in to help us. Um, he had a lot of experience. He had coached many national teams prior to that. You know, he did extremely well with Costa Rica in, in the 1990 World Cup. Surprised a lot of people on that na you know international stage. Uh, he was hired to, to instill confidence in us and to have a structure and a play, you know, style of play. And uh, he did a great job, you know, for a lot of us. And so, look, I mean, when we were, when there was downtime, he did give us some freedom to be with family, which he thought was important because that gave us confidence. He knew what we were like, you know, and he, he got an understanding of our culture that we were all like in it together and we were all fighting together and families are important and that passion helps push you on. So from a U.S. standpoint, um, as we were viewed around the world, that we were fighters that never gave up. But what he wanted to add to our game was that we had enough skill now to control some of the game as well and not just be the fighters, um, which I think helped us in that World Cup and we did well. Yeah. And how were you viewed when you got overseas in Europe as... As initially, an yes, initially. initially. Yeah, it was a challenge. I think it was like kind of Yankee, go home, what are you doing? You know, go play baseball, what are you doing? You know, that type <laughs> of stuff. You get shouts and everything. But, 
it was also you just you, you wanted to belong you know you wanted to to be there for me i grew up with that with with scottish family and and english families and I grew up with that being first generation American, like kind of like that's where the Mecca is. That's where I want to go. I want to do that. And so you want to fight for it, but you also know a lot of people are going like, what, what, what's he doing here? You know, but yeah, what are they doing? Why did they sign well, this American? But at least we were at that time coming into clubs now where we had a World Cup under our belt as experience. If we had gone there just coming out of college or something, they would have been like, wait, what? You know, that doesn't make sense uh, because there wasn't a lot of Americans at all playing the game overseas at that time. So we were, in some aspect, breaking down barriers, and uh, we're pioneers, again, trying to expand. And, you know, territorial, you know, we were just, <laughs> we want to put our claim down, our stake. Put your flag yeah, down. Yeah, put our flag down, and uh, I wanted to make it there. I really did. So when did you feel, or was there a moment that you felt, all right, I think I'm accepted now? Um, I think probably when I scored the goal of the year. My first goal in English soccer, um, which was a rocket from heaven, I think. <laughs> I might have closed my can eyes you still that day visualize and God it? just put the ball up there. Yeah, well, if I can visualize it because it's just such a special moment. It was so far out and it was against the most internationally capped player at that time and Peter Shilton, one of the best goalkeepers revered you know, at that time for his level. And uh, yeah, I think from that night on, it was kind of like, whoa. I'm here to stay. Hopefully. That's right. This I got to earn it. I got to earn it still. But, but you at did least, earn it, though. Yeah, in some aspects. But you got to earn it every day. Every you know day. I mean, and that's the lesson I try to teach my team. You know, when I coach my boys, it's just like, just because you were great last week doesn't mean that you're going to be great this week. You got to fight and you got to work through things and you got to be out there every single day proving it. So that's kind of how it was. Now, is there a truly a difference between fans? Overseas versus soccer fans here in America in terms of what it's like as a player and you're in the stadium. How raucous is it? Um, back in that day, there was a huge difference um, because all of the fans that were there, whether they were six years old or they were 92 years old, they all grew up with the game. So it was in, in it was just in their culture, it was in their blood, it was in and their was generations, their it was their passion, it was generation to generation, and some families split down the line because it was two teams in one city, so the brother would support that one, the sister would support that one, and they wouldn't talk for two weeks when they played. <laughs> and so it was all that part of it, you know, that's what, you're, that's what you're up against. And so, but now I think the gap has closed quite a bit. I think there's a great level of educational, like, fans here really educated fans that get the game and love the game and are passionate and follow it and that want to be part of even a club like Greenville Triumph that wants to start up, you know, they're all part of it. And so our supporter groups, um, the Reedy River Riot and, um, you know, all the fan bases that are coming in here that want to be part of this, they love the game. They do know it. Um, and uh, I think it's great. So I think the gap is closed. And when you look back at all the, yeah. the games you've played and all the people you've played against, is there a couple of players that those are the best players that I've ever played against? Yeah. I mean, geez, there's a lot. I mean, I've played against Brazil seven times. I mean, so Romario as a striker back in the day was just ridiculous. I mean, you know, trying to get the ball off him was extremely hard. Um you know, I played against uh, Italy, like Roberto Baggio, you know, Donadoni, you know, Baresi, um, some of these, Paolo Maldini. I mean, some of the best players that are ever, you know, walk on a field. Um, you know, Ryan Giggs, David Beckham. Um, these are top quality players. And so, you know, even in my first game uh, in the League Cup final for Sheffield Wednesday, we were in the old Division Two at that time in that structure, and we were playing against Manchester United at Wembley Stadium. Now, a lot of players don't get to Wembley Stadium. It's like going to a Super Bowl. So not every athlete, you know, NFL player is going to get to a Super That's Bowl. That's right. So I was there within seven months of my first year. And so it was crazy. But I'm playing against guys like Brian Robson, that was called Captain Marvel, and the midfield guys that I had up on my wall, you know. And, so guys that you looked yeah, up to. Yeah. Mark Hughes was on that team. I mean, 
some of the top players, you know, in the world at the time, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, so many great players. I mean, really good players. <laughs> I mean, really, really <laughs> know, good players. The list that you just gave yeah. is a laundry list. Yeah, of I mean, even the coaches the that I was names. up against, you know, like Sir Alex Ferguson and these type of coaches, I learned from these guys. You know, you see the way they coach and the way their demeanor is and the way they talk with their players and um fortunate enough to share a couple of nice classes of red wine with Alex Ferguson, you know, and got to know him in my later stages of life, you know, and he's brilliant. What a great guy. I mean, he has time for everybody. That's what I love about him. He's just such an authentic leader. He really is. And what about trash talking out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes on. It goes on. I don't know if there's more trash talk on an NBA court. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Or, or if there's more on a soccer field. I, I tend to think, and even on an NFL field, I've been down on, on, on fields, you know, and I hear a lot of trash talking in the NFL. Um, I just wonder if there's more. I mean, soccer seems to be a little bit more respect for guys in some right? aspect. Yeah. So you weren't a trash talker. No, I, I don't think so. I was always raised to, to and, and taught to say like your game shows for itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Actions speak louder yeah, than words. Yeah, that's right? the kind of thing that yeah. I, well, I was raised that way. And so, trash talking didn't get you anywhere if you didn't perform. So if you can get inside of a guy's head, yeah, I get that part. You know, that's part <laughs> of it. And some guys mentally get wound up, you know, by that stuff in games. But I'm telling you, man, I hear more on the NBA courts these days. I hear more on the NFL fields and even, God, even at college, you know, maybe, I don't know if I heard more at Death Valley and Clemson, but not with Dabo there. He's he's a great leader himself. So, um, yeah, but I think trash talking still takes place in the game. But I do also think that there's a great, I don't know what it is. There's a, there's a respect that's there for the other athlete, for sure. Yeah. You know, whether it's a... You know, I don't know how many people are going to trash talk, you know, Steph Curry. You know, I don't know how many trash talk LeBron James. You know what I mean? Like, because they're quality players. Of course, because their actions but do other, speak. Correct. And, but there's other guys that get after guys, for sure. That's their thing. That's their MO. And you know that's everybody's personality is different. That's so it's right. part of the game. When, when did it hit you that you realized from a physical standpoint or emotional standpoint that you no longer wanted to play? I don't think it ever hits you. <laughs> you're, you're told that you can't play anymore. <laughs> you're like, what? So somebody else is telling yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been dictated to many players at times. But uh, yeah, I just turned 36. I was with the Columbus crew. Uh, and I kind of was starting to have a hip issue, you know, which was bugging me for a year or so. And that year prior to me retiring, I only was available maybe for 12 or 14 games in a season. And I was like, wow, that was the first time that ever happened to me because I can run all day and... I was like, what is going on with my body? And it just 14, 15 years as a pro, it started to shut down in certain areas. And so you realize, you don't realize, but people tell you, you're not as fast <laughs> as you used to be, pal. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a wake-up call. It really is. And it's a hard one because that's what you know. That's yeah. all you know at some points. But I think nowadays most of the athletes are prepared, you know, for after yeah. their careers. Were you prepared for after? Uh, I had done some television at that time in England with Sky Television. I've had some exposure with Fox TV and uh, with ESPN at that time. And so people were telling me like, wow, you could probably go into television and do that, you know, Harksy. And I was like, hmm, I always wanted to be a coach. And so I, I was studying to be a coach at that time. And then, I, but I did go right into television a week after I retired. I worked for Fox right away and out in Because that was an easy transition? I, maybe. Yeah, it was like the next thing to do. And, you know, I got after it and worked hard and, you know, wanted to learn in that trade. And, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. But, you know, doing the commentating was great. And I loved traveling the world. And I, you know, did three World Cups for ESPN and, you know, carried college cups and covered all kinds of games and stuff. I just, whenever I walk away from coaching, I'm just like, whew, that's rewarding. When I walked away from commentating, I was like, oh, that was fun. <laughs> it was rewarding because yeah. you, you're trying to do the best you can when you represent the network, you want to represent the game the right way, and you want to respect the players and the coaches that are competing. And I think sometimes in the media, they always want a negative spin on things just for controversy. And I, I just couldn't buy into that. Yeah, that's not you. You're the optimist. It just it was right? hard for me. Yeah, I just, like, they'd be like, Crit criticize that guy. I'm like, no, do you know how hard that is to make that play? <laughs> so it was a lot of education for a lot of different people. How much harder is coaching 
been versus just playing? Um, I think it's it's harder because you are overseeing a lot of different aspects um, of the game, and you're you're a coach to you know twenty to twenty five players. You know, whereas as a player, you're a player. You got to perform. You know what your skill set is, mm-hmm. but you're part of something. You know. Um, if, if the right if the right foot is doing the right thing, then the left hand's doing the right thing, then the body kind of works, you know. So that's part of how you go into coaching too. You have to make sure that your right back is doing the right thing with the left back and the striker and the midfielder and the goalkeeper. And so there's a lot of different components that you're looking at there. And then managing off the field and building a club from scratch and you know working with the front office staff. And you know, luckily we have good people here that want to buy into that too and know how hard it is. It's Nonstop. I mean, you know, it's just constant. It was constant. It is, but it's it's great. It's rewarding. But you love it, don't you? I do. I love it, man. I love it. I love being here. I love Greenville. Uh, I love you know the people I've met down here in the upstate, and uh, you know we've we're putting together a great team, and we want to represent the community well, and we want to represent Joe Irwin well, and uh, our ownership group, and if we do that right, then. We're doing good things in the world because that's all you want to do. And so what is it about Greenville that really drew you? The city itself. The shrimp and grits. That's about <laughs> it. It's just the shrimp and grits. I'm sorry. It was, so no, the way the food, to your heart is through your food, stomach. The food is great. My wife's like, can you stop eating that? I'm like, yeah, honey, you're right. Um, no, the, 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 there's, a, there's a genuine warmness here of people and uh, a real opportunity to to build something great for the community really i mean it really truly believe in that and when that's there and you know that that's the big picture of what you're doing the micro and the macro kind of come together and you're like wow this is all kind of work and it's fun and you know you work with people and you know uh in, in in media and you work with people off the field in your graphics department and you know you're doing the the budgets and your president and your owner and all that stuff and the vice chairman and everybody comes together and then you're building something together and you all sit down and go wow it's working look what we're doing here and it's fun to create like that it really is and i love that part yeah and i can tell that yeah. it's the building something and creating something that energizes you yeah, I think so. It's like no matter how tired you are, you find <laughs> you well, you find that enjoyment. You know, you find I find enjoyment in creating opportunities for players. I want them, but the players that have been overlooked and said they're not good enough, or he's too small, or that one's not good enough. You know that there's guys that are going to be late bloomers. There's no that guys that need the right inspiration, that need to be motivated, and so sometimes you get them and you give them a good lift, and they have a great experience. And ten years later, you see them and they go, "Wow, what a great part of my life that was." That's all you want. That's that's impactful, building yeah. some type of legacy. And so you talk about motivation and understanding that different people right. are motivated differently. Mm-hmm. Words of wisdom have always been a big thing for me. And, you know, it can be phrases, mottos or quotes that and life advice at times that can help people. Um, and you just never know when it can be impactful. So for you, do you have words of wisdom that something that you've leaned on? Over the years, throughout your yeah. career, that has been a lot to you? Yeah, I think so. And you're never bigger than the club. You're only as good as the next game, and uh, <laughs> which I've been told many times by many coaches and, and parents and everybody. Um, and then the other part is um, you can't expect other people to believe in you unless you believe in yourself. And so once you get that right, then that shows that's very wise right there. Yeah, I think so. I think you got to instill belief in yourself, and that's what we're trying to do, inspire people to play the game. Yes. Well, you definitely are doing that. What's on your playlist these days, though, in terms of, I know you like Led Zeppelin and you too I back like in the day. I like all music, man. So. I like all music. I was listening before I came in here, Gladys Knight and the Pips. I was jamming that, you know, <laughs> Midnight Train to Georgia. Uh, 21 Pilots I've been getting into quite a bit. Uh, Leon Bridges I love. Um 
Oh, you've got a nice range. Yeah, I, I do. I love all music. But it's do crazy. you have any more I could vinyls? Do classical. I could do Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett. Um, I have a lot of vinyls, and my son and my daughters all have record players now. It's crazy. <laughs> so even my son, who's in Scotland and Dundee, he was like, "Dad, you know, my my record players at home. If you ever want to bring it down, you can bring it to Greenville." I'm like, "Thanks, yeah, I appreciate that." <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we break out some of the old vinyls, and some classics are there, and it's just, just that sound, that crickling that's there, and that, I you know, agree. I you know miss I mean? that. You know, I do you? miss that. It's yes, because like, you know, so when I hear about the story, you, you and your brother fighting as far as yeah. what records going to play, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember those days, yeah, one hundred percent, and I miss those days. I do too, and I, I, you know what? And music inspires you; it really yeah. does. And I think it for me, it coexists with with playing a sport. I think it drives you. Yeah, did you have music that you listened to right before you played? Oh yeah, I jammed a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of it was you too when I was younger. You know, yeah. just very passionate music and deep. And, you know, Bono was a great lyricist, and uh, uh, it got you motivated for sure. But then you always jam the other ones, like the classic rock or an ACDC here and again. You know, now and again, which was my first concert I ever went to. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, you find different things to motivate you and different songs that are soulful or, you know, I love the blues. I can go to a jazz club and just jam all night. So I got a lot of influences, but based on my mom and dad, cause they both played guitar and instruments and sang all day and, you know, they just love the music. So music always in your household. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Now, it's did you it's pick funny up when I meet other people and they're like, oh, I didn't grow up with too much music. I don't have a playlist. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it's you find out that everyone's different, you know? Did you ever pick up an instrument and start playing? Uh, I played the drums when I was younger. I also played the bagpipes in a Scottish uh, pipe band. And uh, Oh, now I've, I need to hear I've, that. Yeah, it's I been need a long to hear time. That. It's been a long time. Uh, and I was playing guitar for a little bit because my son was self-taught and he was very good and uh, my kids used to joke around that I was a really good air guitarist so I try to play the guitar <laughs> but I, I need full-time lessons I really do but I love it I would love to pick it up I'm right there with you I'm yeah. jealous that I don't have the talent to play a musical instrument because I would love to Oh, really? I definitely would, yes. Because I, I, I heard you were playing cowbell. Don't you play <laughs> no, cowbell? No, I can. I can do some cowbell. We always need more cowbell, right? We need right? more cowbell all the time, Rich. All the time. That's right. Can't say no to cowbell. You cannot. John, thank you so much yeah, my pleasure, for man. being a guest yeah. here. Awesome. I greatly appreciate I it. it. And looking forward to seeing the success. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Now, it's one thing of being just optimistic, but the real key for being able to utilize optimism to achieve success is understanding how and when to apply optimism while balancing that with realism. There's no doubt that John has been able to set realistic goals through his life through an optimistic lens, but that only came about once he was able to fully have the confidence of believing in himself first. Now that finishes episode 106, and you can find more of our content by visiting our Rich Take on Sports Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.